Welcome to Infinite Earth Radio. We believe that in a world of finite natural resources, a smart and sustainable future is only possible by lifting up people and unleashing unlimited human potential. Infinite Earth Radio will not only help you learn from bright visionary civic leaders who are building smarter, more inclusive and sustainable communities, but you'll discover how you can bring these ideas to your community. And now, here are your hosts, Mike Hancocks and Vernice Miller-Travis. Welcome back to Infinite Earth Radio, where we talk with thought leaders and change agents who are transforming the future by building smarter, more sustainable, and more equitable businesses and communities. This is Kate Meese, Executive Director of the Local Government Commission and host of our regular monthly series, on smart growth and livable communities, where we discuss ways to create equitable communities that provide better housing, transportation, and economic opportunities for all residents. Today as our guest, we are honored to have Joe DiStefano, principal and co-founder of Urban Footprint. Joe leverages 20 years of experience in land use and transportation planning in leading the development and deployment of the rapid fire and urban footprint modeling platforms new models and software tools that bring critical information to land use planning decisions, energy and water resource choices, and the environmental, public health, and social equity challenges of our times. Joe, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks, Kate. It's great to be here. So, Joe, you've worked in this space for over two decades. What motivates you to do this work, and what challenges or opportunities do you see that keep you passionate about the work? That's a good question. All in all, I'm motivated by improving cities. I think that as the world urbanizes increasingly, I think, you know, many of us know these numbers that, you know, we'll be 70% urban worldwide um, in the next couple of decades, that the shape of cities, the shape cities take are going to have outsized impacts on, on climate change, on poverty, on prosperity, on public health. And I'm as more and more people find themselves in cities, I am motivated to ensure that cities are the best places for those people and the best places for the planet generally. So, I mean, that's what gets me up every day. And at Urban Footprint, we are now maniacally focused on producing tools based on the experience that we've had over the past couple of decades of doing real work all over the world. We focus on producing tools that help planning practitioners, and pretty much every actor associated with decision-making at the city level, help them understand the impacts of our choices on, on the people in cities and on, on the impacts of how our cities grow have on all these critical challenges, all these health and climate and energy and water and, and other challenges that we're facing across the country and across the world. That's great. And it, it really is a, a critical time, I think, for a number of reasons. And you've mentioned many of them. Certainly, climate change is a, a huge factor in having local leaders think twice about how they're growing and, and really consider different ways of doing business. We also, of course, are seeing an emerging housing crisis. And this comes at a time when local governments are struggling to balance their books. They've got decades of deferred maintenance for critical infrastructure. We're seeing reduced revenue and growing costs from pension costs to just the general cost of doing business increasing. So, you know, a lot of issues are emerging. And I think local governments increasingly are realizing that they can't continue the same land use and transportation 
patterns that they have in the past. We just, we can't afford to for environmental reasons and economic reasons as well. So I'd love for you to, you know, you alluded to the fact that urban footprint can help local leaders make more and better informed decisions. So tell us a little bit about the tool and how it can help them do that. Sure, of course. You know, we live in this world where there's more data about just about everything coming at us just about every day. And what we found over a couple decades worth of work kind of up to the genesis of Urban Footprint was that it's it's hard to make sense of all that. That even when we have, you know, cell phones tracking our every movement and just more data sort of available to us generally at our fingertips, that actually turning that into actionable insight and particularly for a planner or an actor in sort of planning a city's future or working on a city's current challenges, the planning technology has not really kept up with that challenge. It's not yet at a place or it has not yet been at a place where it's easy to understand what's on the ground, understand current challenges, and you know beyond that, understand the impacts of making changes to the environment, changing land uses, changing transportation systems. What are the impacts of our, you know, the different choices that we make going to be on things that really matter, the things we've been talking about on climate change, on energy, on water, on public health, on fiscal impacts to cities. So Urban Footprint is sort of squarely aimed at breaking through that friction and through that challenge. It provides over a single web interface, easy access to the data, to the tools, a whole series of scenario development tools, and then to real-time analytics needed to really understand that current condition. We do that across all U.S. cities now, and that basically occurs at, effectively at the push of a button you can, you know, a system that arrives with the majority of the data that a user would need to understand what's on the ground, and then a whole kit of parts and tools that allow the user to understand the impacts of changes to that current condition. So that's, you know, the SimCity for real piece of this is like, if I, my city grows like this, what are the impacts going to be? What if it grows like this? What if we invest in transit? What if we invest in energy efficiency programs? What are the impacts of that going to be on a whole host of impacts? On, I think you know, that has traditionally been something that takes months, if not years, an army of consultants, and it's incredibly expensive. The work that we did, you know, starting way back in the sort of Portland regional plan days and then moving into Envision Utah, two of the some of these marquee regional projects, those were two million dollar projects that took an army of consultants and and took two years. They had a significant impact, but you can't really scale that. So our goal with Urban Footprint is to really scale methods that we know make a difference. When you put better information on the table in front of decision makers and in front of the public so that people actually understand the impact of what's going on today and the impact of you know some of these critical choices about tomorrow, it really does make a difference. I mean, we live in a world where it seems like facts don't matter, but they do. And when you, you know, place honest information in front of people, we have found at least that that creates unlikely coalitions and it generally results in what can be considered a quote unquote more sustainable or more equitable outcome. So really we're driven by scaling those methods Urban Footprint um, is a software product that aims to do just that. To your point that that facts matter, I think one of the misconceptions around growth has been that there's a need to rely on big box stores and auto dealerships and, and large sprawling housing developments to attract funding because local governments rely so heavily on property and sales tax revenue. That said, there's been a national study done by Smart Growth America and a number of other studies that back this up as well that show that smart growth patterns actually save 
a 38% on upfront construction and infrastructure costs and reduce the costs of police, fire, and other public services also can generate up to 10 times more tax revenue per acre. So are you finding that trend supported through Urban Footprint? And are you seeing that having that information is changing the dialogue in local communities? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think what we've found over many, many, many years of of analyzing the impact of different sort of land patterns and these kinds of development conditions, both pre-urban footprint and now with the tool itself. Yeah, absolutely. Very consistent with that. Um, I mean, the numbers vary from place to place, little by little, and, you know, everyone's got slightly different sort of taxing and revenue structures. But on the whole, yeah, that holds true that in general, more compact patterns are more efficient to serve. I think one of the huge pieces of the puzzle here is operating and operations and maintenance costs of sort of wet and dry utilities and infrastructure. The kind of thing that, you know, once a development is, you know, it's one thing to sort of to lay out the capital to support development of one kind or another. It's another to take on the ongoing O&M costs. And that's borne by cities. And, and we've seen across the country and across California, um, cities that have you know, quite literally gone bankrupt, in part based on the inability to operate and maintain infrastructure to support sort of sprawling outward growth. So I think that's something that cities are much more aware of now, in part because there have been projects and processes and models that are bringing that to the table. So I think, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, there's a whole host of other costs that go well beyond just O&M and capital costs for infrastructure that are also very sensitive to sort of land pattern and the choices we make on development. One thing that I, I think has been so powerful about both Rapid Fire and Urban Footprint is that you are able to look at so many different metrics. As you said, you can look at public health metrics, air quality, you can look at vehicle miles traveled or greenhouse gas emissions, but you can also look at the fiscal impacts which I think can be a really powerful way of mobilizing a diverse range of stakeholders. In some communities, ultimately, it's going to be about the environmental impacts, but I've seen a really powerful use of the fiscal impacts in more conservative areas and in inland areas. So can you speak to a couple examples of where you've seen this tool used in more liberal coastal community versus a community that looked at very different metrics. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a maybe a couple um, couple different examples here. So one of them, you know, here in California is the deployment of sort of the rapid fire and urban footprint models to an extent in the Central Valley, in particular in the city of Fresno, where we worked with the city to look at different general plan alternatives, and that range those ranged from very focused, most new growth occurring within the existing urban core. And in, in, in along some specific transit corridors versus a, a much more sort of business as usual approach within Fresno, which has been kind of a poster child of, um, of more suburban sprawling growth over a number of decades. The modeling showed that the sort of fiscal impact, what we were talking about before, the capital and O&M costs of supporting one versus the other were very, very different with, you know, outsize costs associated with business as usual. But then what was really critical was looking at all the other factors as well. So you've got, you know, you had a very sort of diverse community there. People focused on a whole host of different issues, equity issues, housing cost issues, um, environmental burdens, fiscal burdens. It's a place where the decision making has been traditionally fairly conservative, where you had a you know, substantial portion of a city council at the time that was not even um, sort of fully bought into the, the climate change thing. But there you had a decision that was made by that council and by that planning commission to adopt a, at least what's on paper, one of the most progressive plans in the state of California when it comes to a city's general plan. 
because of a whole host of different impacts. Because business as usual had kids, had that city going from one in five kids with asthma to one in three. Being able to measure that was really critical. And then being able to measure the cost burdens of that, the fiscal impacts we already talked about, the water impacts. We're talking about, you know, this was in the midst of California's major drought, something that we're sure to experience again in the Central Valley, which is incredibly sensitive to drought conditions. And, you know, one scenario versus another had outsized impacts on, on water let alone carbon emissions and other components. So what moves the needle in one community or for one constituent group within a single community is really different from place to place and from group to group. And what we have found is that when you bring this variety of impacts to the table, you end up with sort of disparate groups often coming around to the same scenario, if you will, but for very different reasons that creates coalitions, that creates commonalities, and that ultimately leads to plans that are more likely to actually get implemented as opposed to just adopted because you've got a sort of broader cast of characters and community groups and constituencies supporting it. Maybe one more example that I think is pretty powerful, actually, is is the use of the sort of tool and the scenario planning methodology on the island of Oahu, and in particular, the city and county of Honolulu. That's a place that when we were working there and using the tool, um, was it still is, you know, a top 10 in terms of congestion. It was the most congested city in America. It remains incredibly congested. And on the table was a very sort of divisive piece of infrastructure, which is a, a new rail line. We came to Oahu, and when we got there, environmental groups, in particular the local Sierra Club, was vehemently against that piece of rail infrastructure, in part just because it represented change. They saw it as stimulating the consumption of some valuable agricultural lands, and they really saw it as something that was kind of just like bucking a status quo that they really, actually, frankly, really loved about that place. They saw it as just stimulating change in a place, and they were really sort of pushing back against that. A scenarios process was deployed using actually both the rapid fire and urban footprint tools. And we actually brought together stakeholders across the banking community, the finance community, the development community, the labor unions, the environmental community and others. And we're able to pretty quickly put together a set of scenarios and convey the specific impacts of that rail infrastructure on a whole host of things. So it was no longer just, you know, about mobility and the eating of agricultural lands. It was about water consumption, energy consumption, household cost burdens, greenhouse gas emissions. And then suddenly what happened, you know, actually over a, you know, a nine to 12 month period, what happened was that the Sierra Club dropped its resistance to the rail, ultimately ended up supporting a pro-rail mayoral candidate. And that mayor won and that rail is being built today. And that rail is actually going to have a very transformative and positive impact on that island as it stimulates more focused growth and, and a whole host of positive environmental outcomes. Had we not been able to sort of get on the ground and actually build those scenarios in a very kind of consensus oriented process and measure the impacts of one decision versus another, that kind of sort of aha moment, if you will, for these varying stakeholders would not have occurred. And frankly, you probably wouldn't see this critical piece of infrastructure being built in Oahu today. So, I mean, I really do think that the process generally of just putting better information on the table, which again, is very technically difficult and Urban Flintprint is really aimed at sort of attacking that technical friction. It makes a huge difference. Yeah, those are very powerful examples. And certainly the types of decisions that communities across the, the nation are making. So that's great. In the example of Fresno, I, I think about how powerful it was that they chose the ambitious general plan scenario, because for years, like you said, it, it has really been the, the poster child for sprawl and for suburban type development. And one of the issues in Fresno and many communities is the powerful role that developers play. 
And I think one of the challenges that local governments face is that they're looking at a black box in terms of how the developer looks at their pro forma. So the developer says, well, I can put in these capital costs, but you're going to have to deal with the operations and maintenance over time. There's not full understanding always from local governments on what all is entailed in the cost calculations of the developer and certainly from the public on what is left in terms of the bag that they're holding for the operations and maintenance costs and some of the things that they should be asking to put back on the developer or impact fees that they should be charging. So I'm wondering if you have any experience and and how that has helped democratize the information exchange with developers. Yeah, absolutely. I think just by you change the conversation by it's no longer a one sided game where the development community. I mean, and again, I do not think the development community is this evil group. I actually think they're absolutely critical partner in solving pretty much all of the issues that we're talking about today. And it's a matter of like channeling that. And I think that the scenarios process helps to channel that. So I just, I definitely want to say that there, this is, this, I am by no means a anti-developer. I think the critical partners here. That said, I think having the appropriate kind of counterbalance and being able to understand that it's not just the capital outlay, but that it is the ongoing O&M, that cities do have to take on that burden. And it's not just the ongoing O&M, it's the whole host of other impacts that the cities have to consider. I mean, the cities are charged with the public good. They are charged with taking care of their citizens, current and future generations. And when you actually take a look at the outsized impacts on things like household cost burdens between different development patterns, like the Fresno example, every new resident and every resident across the region, across that city would have a substantially different sort of long-term impact on their pocketbooks, the cost of transportation, the cost of housing and utilities, the cost of treating health impacts, which ultimately gets borne by citizens and the communities is something that actually has to be brought to the fore in these discussions. So it cannot just be about the one-time sunk cost or the one-time cost from the developer side. There has to actually be sort of a life cycle and long-term look at this. And, And frankly, that is the role of cities. The investment community, the development community, the financial community, they're going to have much shorter timelines and they're going to have much shorter expectations around when they have to turn their investments into profit. But it is the role of the city to look beyond that and they need the analytics and the practitioners need to be able to produce those metrics in order to be able to inform that discussion. So you've recently announced that Urban Footprint has partnered with the state of California and a venture firm called Social Capital to bring your software to make it more widely available. So to bring it to over 500 cities, counties, and regional agencies. Can you talk a little bit about the launch of the availability of Urban Footprint statewide and what you're hoping to achieve? Yeah, absolutely. Um, It's something that's uh, near and dear and and very exciting to us, both as we're a California born and bred company, but also we've been doing a lot of work in the state of California and the state's had a major role in the sort of development of the initial versions of UF. Absolutely. So basically what we're offering is a a license free of charge to the sort of professional full-blown version of Urban Footprint to every city, county, and regional agency, the planning departments and those or planning or the departments that handle planning in all of those jurisdictions that does add up to, I think, more than 500. And it's really a way of, of scaling this and ensuring that cities have access to the kinds of analytics, to the kinds of data, and to the kinds of tools that you know, we've been talking about for the last 20 or 30 minutes here. So it's the Urban Footprint sort of California Civic Program. It's accessed via our website. We've had a, a substantial number of cities across California that have signed up for that, and we're in the process of onboarding them, bringing their data into the system. 
and getting them set up using UF for whether it be for their next general plan, a neighborhood plan, a corridor plan, some other study. We are just excited to see its use scale across the state of California. And it's also available across the United States to cities outside of California as well. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Joe. Unfortunately, we are out of time. I encourage folks to all go take a look at Urban Footprint. It's a really powerful tool that you'll want to see if there's a use for in your community. And thank you all for listening. We look forward to seeing you next time in Infinite Earth Radio. Infinite Earth Radio is a podcast produced by Skio in association with the Local Government Commission. To learn more about Skio, Infinite Earth Radio guests, or how you can make a difference in your community, visit our website at infiniteearthradio.com or join us on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash Infinite Earth Radio and Twitter by following at Infinite Earth Radio.